Amen. Amen. We've been talking about dwelling together. We're going to continue in that, that vein. I, I did pray, Lord, do you want me to give a Mother's Day message? And he told me to keep going in this direction. So we're going to talk about spiritual gifts in corporate worship. Before I get into the message, I want to acknowledge my mother. I want to honor her. Amen. I can say that there has never been a day in my life where I didn't believe that this woman loved Jesus with everything in her, in her, in her heart. She's always loved the Lord. Always. I never had a doubt about it. She's always loved the Lord. When I went astray, I told somebody this story this week. I walked in. I'd been out all night drinking. Walked into my parents' home. Boy, I gave them trouble. They did everything they, they could. I, my mom threatened to send me to, to military school. Can you believe that? <laughs> she did everything she knew how to do. But I walked in that night. This was shortly before I, I, I began to turn my life to the Lord and he began to work in me. She had her face down in a lazy boy rocking chair. She lifted her face up, tears streaming down, and she said, son, when are you going to stop running from the call of God? She'd been praying for me. So I wouldn't be here doing what I'm doing today without those prayers and without my mom sowing the things of God to my life. Amen. Well, thank you, Mom. Love you. And I just want to acknowledge it's good to have Forrest Babb back today. Amen. Good to see you. Amen. He's a trooper. He's been through it, but he's, I'm glad you're here today. Amen. Love you. So let's get into the Word of God. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts in corporate worship. We believe that the gifts are operating today. There, there's, this is doctrinal, there, there's an idea that is, is known as um, cessation, and people who believe that, they believe that, that the gifts of the Spirit ceased whenever the apostles, the early apostles of Jesus' generation passed away, the gifts ceased to operate in the church. Others believe that when the canon of Scripture was accepted at the council, that that scripture was what was complete, and the gifts were no longer needed. I have a problem with either one of those positions because of what I read in the scripture. God gave us a lot of instruction about spiritual gifts, and I don't think they're in there as idle words. I don't think God put those words in there in vain. They are to instruct us in what it looks like to be a healthy church. Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. One translation says, I don't want you ignorant, brethren. So you can, it's, punctuation is important, right? He says, but I, I do not want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. We should not be ignorant. Many things that I've seen in my lifetime in the name of spiritual gifts, were done in ignorance. They were harmful, not helpful. They were divisive. They didn't edify the body. 
We don't want to do that. So I would encourage you, get into the Word of God. I believe every one of us in this room has spiritual gifts. They're, they're, they're not human gifts. They're not talents, natural talents, but they're gifts that God has given us. He has invested those things in us. And the enemy is fighting you over those things. The enemy doesn't want you to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Because when we operate in the gifts of the Spirit, the purpose of God gets fulfilled. And so he wants to hinder us. So I want to encourage you, don't stay ignorant. Get into the Word of God. Study, in, in particular, and there are many other passages in Scripture about the gifts of the Spirit, but I would encourage you, and I'm going to, I'm going to continue to teach over the next uh, probably couple of months about spiritual gifts, but I would encourage you to get into the Word of God and study these things for yourself. Paul, Paul admonished his, his spiritual son, Timothy. He said, I, I, I exhort you that you would study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Get into the scriptures, rightly divide scriptures, study the scriptures so that you're not a workman that is ashamed, that when your spiritual gift, there, there's a demand on your spiritual gift, you're intimidated and afraid to step out in that gifting because you don't know what the word of God tells you about it. Study the word. Let's not stay in ignorance. Let's study God's word. I want to encourage you in that. We are not cessationists. We don't believe that the gifts have ceased. We are continuationists. We believe that God, through his church, is working by the power of his Holy Spirit through his people. Amen? He is empowering us to do the work that he has called us to do. And that will manifest itself through our gifting that comes from God. God has gifted us with spiritual gifts. We're not going to go into all the definitions of this today. We will look at some of them, but prophecy and tongues and interpretation and words of wisdom, words of knowledge, healing, miracles. Uh, some believe there are 18 gifts, some 20 gifts. I read a book yesterday that, that uh, ascribed 27 spiritual gifts. And honestly, I don't think it's limited necessarily to the gifts that are named in the scriptures. If it's coming from God, if it's empowered, and I'm going to give you an indication here in just a minute to understand if it does come from God. But if it comes from God, if it comes from His Holy Spirit, it's a spiritual gift. Amen? Amen. And we don't, we don't need to, I, I don't want to give any license for presumption. Presuming is dangerous. We need to be sure. Whenever we operate in the gifting, we need to be sure that it's God and not our own flesh. How do we know the difference? Hopefully by the end of the day, we're going to understand some of this. So we're going to, we're going to study this. We're going to look into this. One, one of the first things that uh, I, I think is foundational when it comes to operating spiritual gifts is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 39 through 40. And it says this, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy... Do not be afraid to speak with tongues. And th those are some guidelines. We, we need to desire prophecy, and, and we, we shouldn't be afraid or forbid people to speak in tongues. Amen. I think those are some clear things that are in the Scriptures. Now, it needs to be done according to this next phrase right here. Let all things be done decently and in order. How many of you have ever observed 
disorder and chaos when it comes to spiritual gifts in the church. Again, that, just, as, just as dangerous as being ignorant, doing things out of order can be dangerous and harmful in the church. We want things done well. We want things done decently and in order. When, when we operate in a spiritual gifts, it shouldn't scare people. It should not freak people out. There, there, there's this tension because it ought to be really normal. But when we think about it, there is absolutely nothing normal about the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's a tension. Right? And we need to be careful that we don't get off in left field. That we become so normal that we lack power or so enamored and focused on our gifts and so boisterous and in your face with our gifts, forceful with spiritual gifts, that we become weird and quacky. When he says peculiar, we're peculiar people, it doesn't mean you're odd. It means you're separate. It means you're like Christ. It doesn't mean you're goofy. Don't blame your goofiness on God. That's not of God. We need to be clear. So how, how can we distinguish? I'm going to give you some things here in just a minute that I think will be very, very helpful in understanding the real and the counterfeit. How many of you know that when it's counterfeit, it is one of the most nasty, stinky, vile and off-putting things that you can ever encounter. But when you truly encounter the presence and the power of God and the supernatural gifts of God begin to manifest, whether you're ministering to somebody face-to-face -face or in a corporate setting, it is the most powerful, beautiful, life-giving thing that you can ever encounter. We need to be mature enough to notice the difference, to understand the difference. Things need to be done decently and in order. We're gonna, we're, I, I want to lay a foundation. I, I, I've gotten all kinds of questions. Should, should we prophesy? Should we speak in tongues? What, should we, what can we do in church? You know, I'm kind of the new guy, the new sheriff in town, if you will. Pastor Bill had a way. What's your way? None of us are the same as pastors. You have to understand that, right? So people have been asking, what, what, what's the expectation? How, how, how can I conduct myself? I had somebody invite me. To lunch, and I appreciated that. They wanted to know about their spiritual gift and how it should operate in the church. I really appreciated that. It was awesome. I want the gifts to operate in this church in a very powerful and real way. They are key to effective ministry. I believe the, the spiritual gifts should operate in this house every single week. It needs to be done decently and in order. Amen? And sometimes there's going to be some stuff about it that we don't understand. I mean, there, there's, you, you can't explain prophecy to an outsider, to a pre-believer. Even sometimes we believers have a hard time understanding it, but it just does not make any sense to a pre-believer. I don't, I don't believe in non-believers. I, I believe in pre-believers. Everybody's going to believe one day or another. Just hopefully it's on this side of eternity, right? We're all believers or pre-believers. But 
Pre-believers, don't under, they, they, they won't understand the things of God. People who don't have the Spirit of God residing in them cannot comprehend the things of God, right? They're not going to understand it. But I, I believe if we do things well, if we do things decently, if we do things in order, it won't be a problem. It won't be a distraction. It, it won't be the centerpiece of what's going on. We're going to talk more about it. So we're, we're establishing some protocol. Listen, if you've got a prophetic word, what do you do with that? Come see me. Come see me. And, and understand this, if you're going to be used with any spiritual gift, you need to have humility about it. And if pastor, or if I'm out of town, whoever's in the place of authority says, hold on, we're going to wait on that, we're not going to use that prophetic word right now, you need to be humble enough to say, okay. I'm not going to get my feelings hurt. I'm not going to get bent out of shape. Pastor's not trying to abuse me. Maybe he's sensing something or seeing something that I'm not. I'm okay with that. There's been times when God's given me an unction about something. I've gone to the person who's in charge, who has authority. I believe in authority. And I've gone to that, that person of authority, and they said no. And I've gotten offended. But I've learned over the years it's not personal. They're keeping order. They're hearing from God. They're probably seeing something that I'm not seeing, and I can be cool with it because it's really not about me. If, if, if I get offended because my gift isn't used, my gift, it's no longer about the glory of God, and it's about me. We need to understand that. We, that that's maturity. We, we have to be able to understand that. So we're, we're going to establish altar ministry teams. In fact, a lot of things are being established. God, God has given us, we've, we've, we've been slow. We, it's hard to believe it, but it's been almost a year since we moved here. We haven't made any radical, I've been pastor since November, senior pastor. I, I haven't made any radical moves. We're going to make some. Quick. You're going to begin to see things unfolding and changing. But I, I didn't want to get ahead of God. I've been observing I've been learning who people are. Who can I put into this? Who can I set here? Who's good in this? Who, who has a gift here? I've been learning and observing. And over the last couple of weeks, God has begun to download some vision for our house. And we're going to begin to make some changes. Rachel and I were in Branson. That's right. We were in Branson the week before last. And we, we, driving there and driving home, we were talking. God was downloading vision. I got a notebook out, and we began to scribble notes about prayer teams, about 20-somethings, about our media team, about <laughs> discipleship, about outreach, about our prayer groups, about our worship team. God began to download vision. And we're going to set things into this house that's going to, that we're, we're growing, and that's going to accelerate. Amen. You know why? Because God wants his church to grow. Amen. And I want to be a part of it. How about you? Amen. How many of you want our church to grow? Amen. Amen. It's going to grow. And in order for growth to come, we've got to have nets to bring in the harvest. We have to have structures, systems, right? Things have to be in place. We've got to have ministry teams. So we're going to, we're going to build an altar ministry team. We're, we're going to have key people so that whenever prophecies, we're, we're going to have people that we know we can go to if I've got a prophecy, and they're going to know what to do with it. We're, we're going to have leaders, captains in the altar that are making sure that everybody is getting ministry whenever we have altar time. 
We're going to have people who are trained to to lead people in salvation or uh, deliverance or pray for healing or if they need to be baptized in God's spirit or if if they need to be baptized, what do we do with them? We're going to train a team. We're going to set order into the house. How many of you have noticed that we have some reserved seats? Guess what? That's not for the rich people. That's not for the privileged. So don't get bent out of shape about it. Jesus warned us about that. Right? We're not going to put certain people on the back row and certain people on the front row because we prefer certain people over others. But those reserve signs are for people who have a purpose. Okay? And as we've developed these teams, our, like prayer work, workers, for example, they need to be close. The, the, the seats that are saved are saved for a reason. There's people that need to function in some kind of ministry, and so they're reserved for them and their family members. Okay? So I just want to encourage you, uh, honor, if you see a seat with a sign on it, don't sit in it. And, and people have done it. It hadn't been, um, you know, on purpose. They just didn't know. They're used to sitting somewhere or something. They didn't know. Right? It, 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 none of it has been, right? It's all been innocent. But let's, if you see a seat, just honor that. Why? Because it sets some order. We're trying to set structure, order, do things well. Amen? So honor that. So let's dig in. So the Holy Spirit was moving earlier in a powerful way. God used my wife, and when he did, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, skip that page of notes right there. <laughs> so probably here in a, a week or so, that, that was God. That was God moving. God used my wife in a powerful way earlier. Is this what it is to be led of the Spirit of God? You know when to shut up. You know when to skip pages in your notes. So you'll hear in the future that the, the purpose of our gifts are for edification, encouragement, and exhortation, but you won't hear that today. You'll hear that another day. But here, here are some guidelines that are going to help us to know, are, am I being used with my spiritual gift, or is this just my flesh? Number one, if it's not rooted in love, then it's not God. It has to be rooted in love. Paul starts in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. And then he goes into a discourse of about 60 verses, three chapters, which the, the chapters weren't in the book when he wrote the book, the letter. But three of our modern-day Bible chapters specifically focused on our spiritual gifts. And in the middle of chapter 12 and chapter 14 is sandwiched chapter 13. And it's been used in almost every wedding in the recorded history of mankind. It's known as the love chapter. Spiritual gifts have to be centered in love. That's why the spiritual gift sandwich has love in the middle. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass, or clanging symbol. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. If our ministry is not centered in love, it's unprofitable. These things are called spiritual gifts. Just think of that word, gifts. 
We give gifts to the people that we love, don't we? They're spiritual gifts, not spiritual impositions. How many of you have ever had somebody's spiritual gift imposed on you? You don't impose on people that you love. God gave me a word for someone. I, it was early this week. I was praying for someone. I had a chance to have lunch with them. This is a minister. I had a chance to have lunch with them this week. God gave me a word for this person. This, this guy, he said, are you seeing anything? Do you sense anything for me or for my family? And I said, as a matter of fact, I was praying for you the other day, and God gave me a word. And I said, this is challenging. It could even come across harsh. I don't mean it this way, but God gave me this to say to you. You listen to it, and you take it. If you, if you want to disregard it, that's fine, but if it ministers to you, you take it. I told them what God said, and we went on our, about our day. I didn't say you have to do it this way, and if you don't, you're missing God. I didn't impose the word that God gave me on him. I gave it to him as a gift. Offer, offer these things as gifts. Don't thrust them upon people as a demand. Approach is everything. Your approach can mean the difference between your effectiveness and your ineffectiveness. How are you going to approach people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, after the conclusion of chapter 13, after the conclusion of this love chapter, he says, pursue love. Pursue love. Desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. We're encouraged in, our, in the operation of the gifts of the Spirit to pursue love. I love this person, and I want to effectively minister. Or I love this body. If you're ministering in a corporate setting. I love this church, and I want my gift to bless it. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 says, there should be no schism in the body. Members should have the same care one for another. Gifts should not divide us. If it's divisive, there's a good chance we might be doing it wrong. It should edify. It should build us up. Our spiritual gifts, when used, should bring unity in the body of Christ. It should. So that's point number one. Point number two, when, whenever we use the spiritual gifts, it has to be moored, anchored in devotion. It has to be anchored in devotion. You see, you, you can't pull deep things. And, and, and spiritual gifts, they are deep things. They're, they're, they're not from our human nature. They come from the Spirit of God. You cannot pull deep things out of shallow water. You can't operate in the spiritual gifts if you don't have a prayer life and be effective. You cannot operate in the spiritual gifts if you're not in the Word of God and think that you're going to be effective. Your public ministry has to be moored in private devotion. If you haven't spent time in the prayer closet, don't try to climb to the platform. If you haven't prayed up and been in the word of God, don't demand that someone stands in the, in the parking lot with you and gives you a listening ear. 
If we didn't receive it to the Lord, we don't have anything to give. I love Ernest Glaive was my, is my wife's uncle. He's, he's gone to be with the Lord some 20 years plus ago. He was an instructor at the Bible College of Wales. That's where Reinhard Bonnke went to school. But he, Ernest Glaive is, is famous for this statement. And when I heard it the first time, I didn't understand it. He said, the only thing that pleases God is that which he does himself. The only thing that pleases God is that which he does himself. And with that, that in mind, can we offer it a ministry that doesn't originate with God? In and of ourselves, do we really honestly have anything to give anybody who is saved and on their way to hell? Somebody who is battling demons. Remember the seven sons of Sceva? Do you remember how that turned out? Tried to do it in natural ability. What happened? He ran away naked and ashamed. What we do for the Lord has to be rooted in the power of the Spirit of God. And if we haven't prayed, if we haven't spent time with the Lord, if we haven't spent time fasting, if we haven't spent time in worshiping, if we haven't spent time with the people of God being lifted up and built up in our spirit, we have nothing to give. That's the reality. 2 Corinthians chapter 26, verses 5 and 5 through 8, it tells about Uzziah. It says, Uzziah sought God. Uzziah sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding and visions of God. And as long as he sought God, God made him prosper. Now he went out and made war against the Philistines, and he broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod, and he built cities around Ashdod and among the Philistines. And God helped him. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbel and against the Meunites. Also the Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah. Look at this verse. This is when things begin to turn right here. It says, His fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for he became exceedingly strong. As long as Uzziah sought God, God helped him. But you know what? Uzziah began to trust in himself. He looked at his own strength. His renown went throughout the earth, and he got his eyes off of God, and God forsook him. Uzziah came to a place where he trusted more in his towers and in his armies than he trusted in the Lord. Look at verse 16 in the same chapter. It says, when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. As long as we're seeking God, God will help us. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. We need the presence of God. We can't do ministry in our own strength. We cannot prophesy out of our own mind. Our wisdom is not wise enough to help somebody trapped in the snare. 
It has to come from God. It has to come from God. I was with uh, David Ravenhill, was a minister, man of God. I was, uh, his father was probably my favorite preacher of all time. David now, Leonard Ravenhill's father died back in the, 1994. David Ravenhill himself now is an old man, but I, I learned this from him over this weekend. He took us to Romans chapter 11, verse 36. He says, this is what the, the scripture says, for of him or from him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. He took this verse and then he showed us how we can recognize whether something is from God or not. Does it come from him? Does it come through him? And does it go to him? From him, through him, to him. That's the pattern in this verse right here. He used as the example the prosperity gospel. Does it come from God? Yes. We can find all kinds of scripture where it says that God wants to prosper us. Does it go through him? Yes. Right? It's God who gives us the power to gain wealth that we might establish his covenant on earth. Wealth comes through God. But does this modern day prosperity message go to him? No. Why? Because it's all about us. It's all about our profit. It's about our bank account. It's about our car. It's about our house. It's about our first class airline tickets. It's about our presidential suite at the hotel. Right? James says, you know, why are you surprised that God hasn't provided when you, you, you failed? Number one, you failed to ask, but then when you do ask, you ask amiss that you might consume it upon your own lusts. Right? So that comes from him, through him, but it doesn't return to him. It's for our glory and not for his glory. So let's put that in application about spiritual gifting. When you prophesy, is it of God? Did the word come from God? Did God empower you? Did it come through him? Did he empower you to minister to it? Minister it. And then does it go back to him? Is it about his glory? Or is it about your glory? How often have we ourselves or have we seen somebody minister and get puffed up? You think about it. It has to come from him, it has to go through him, and it has to return to him. I want you to understand this. The gifts of the Spirit are temporal. Whenever a prophetic word comes, when God, and you genuinely sense that God has spoken to you prophetically, I encourage you, write it down. Write it down. Paul told Timothy, war according to the prophecies. I've got prophecies that I have recorded that were spoken over my life, and I revisit them so I can remember the course that God has set me on. But the prophetic will never have preeminence over the true word of God. The word of God has to be the preeminent thing. And if a prophetic word ever comes and it, it contradicts this word, 
we know it's not from God. So we need to understand that. And that's just one, one example of, of prophecy. But the same thing, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, miracles, all, all these things, they, they are temporal gifts that God gives us. For, for a long time, we've thought that our spiritual gifts, we can, we can speak in tongues, and so we are mature. We have arrived. I can prophesy. Give me a prophecy badge. Bless God, I'm a prophet. Right? For, for the longest time in the charismatic and Pentecostal circles, we have, we have presumed that the spiritual gift shows that we are mature. But you know what the spiritual gift actually shows? It shows that we are immature. Because if we were mature, we wouldn't need the spiritual gifts. There's a day coming when these gifts will be done away with. My eschatology, my, my view of this thing is that's going to happen in the age to come. It'll happen during the millennial reign. The gifts are still operating. Why? Because we still aren't like Jesus. And we need his spiritual gifts in us. But th- th- listen, you, because you can prophesy, because you can speak in tongues, because you can do this, that, and the other, it doesn't mean you have arrived. It doesn't mean you are mature. You know what the greater indication of your maturity is? Not the gift of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. That's the manifestation of maturity in our life. When we look like Jesus, because His Spirit is operating us, and the fruit of His nature is manifesting in our lives, that's when we can say that we are becoming mature. Not the gift, but the fruit. One of, the, one of the dangerous things that we have seen in the charismatic and Pentecostal circles is the overemphasis of the importance of gifts with an absolute disregard for the fruit. I want the gifts, and I want the fruit. There's a balance, and we need to find that balance. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. See, this is showing the, the temporal nature of spiritual gifts. Prophecies will fail. How many of you have ever heard a prophetic word and it let you down? Amen. Let's be honest. Anybody? Okay. They will fail us. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it's going to vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. See, it's indicating we're not whole. We're not complete. We're not yet like Jesus. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, and we need to determine when that then is, as I said, I believe that's in the age to come. Then we shall see face to face. There's a day coming when I'm gonna stand and look my my Savior in the eye. That's when these things are going to be done away with. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. I hear people saying all the time, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God why he did this. No, you're not. Because when we get to heaven, our little pea brains are going to expand. And we will know as he knows. 
But right now, we're little pea-brained, <laughs> immature believers that have to rely on the supply of the Spirit to make it through this old rugged, bumpy, rugged, wretched world that we live in. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. And as we read this, here's our focus. Don't focus on temporal things. Keep pointing to Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter three, uh, 12, verse 3. I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. No one can say Jesus is, a, is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There's a whole lot of meaning there that I don't even want to get in today. The point I want to make from this verse this morning is this. That whatever the Holy Spirit does, whatever the Holy Spirit says, it's pointing us to Jesus. It is pointing us to Jesus. When we operate in the gifts of the Spirit, it will always point to Jesus. When we operate in the gifts of the Spirit, it will always bring glory to God. I'm done with this point. I'm going to give you two verses. This is Jesus himself. In John chapter 15, verse 26, he says this, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. He will testify of who? Jesus. Jesus. You see that? He says, whenever the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to testify of me. He's going to speak of me. John chapter 16, verse 13 through 15. However, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. I'm going to ask Rachel to come. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Van Gill is a man who probably has had more influence on my, my theological perspectives than any other man. He was my favorite Bible teacher in, 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 when I was in Bible college, and I spent 20 years from the time of Bible college until the time that he passed with, with Brother Van as a, a mentor and a friend. I was privileged to go and sit at tables with him and eat tacos. Somebody say taco. <laughs> if you haven't figured it yet, I'm, I am crazy about tacos. I love tacos. Brother Van and I would sit around with other pastors and, and he would teach us, he would mentor us. I went to his living room one time with a notebook and interviewed him. I asked him every question I ever wanted to ask him and wrote down the answers. Brother Van said this. He quoted Jesus, I think it's in John chapter 5, where Jesus says, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. Yet they, they speak of me, and you will not come to me that you might have eternal life. He was speaking to the religious folks of the day, and he said, you're, you're doing all these things trying to get eternal life. But all those things are pointing to me, and yet you are rejecting me. You won't come to me, and so you'll never experience eternal life. Brother Van, using that passage of scripture, he made this, this statement. He says, if you do a Bible study and you haven't learned something about Jesus, you haven't really studied the Bible. 
The whole thing points to him. All of Scripture points to Jesus. And through that, glorifies God. The Scriptures come from God, move through God, and return to God. The same thing is true of the Spirit. When the Spirit speaks, He will speak of me, Jesus says. When the Holy Spirit speaks, if it's a prophetic word and it doesn't give you a revelation about Jesus, well, I see a rainbow in reverse. Okay, what does that tell me about Jesus? I saw a waterfall falling and all of a sudden it went backwards. What does that tell me about Jesus? You know when we get in trouble with the things of God is when we begin to start making it about anything else besides Jesus. You know why people are afraid of the book of Revelations? It's because their study of Revelation isn't centered on Jesus. They want to know where the nuclear bombs are going to fall. Am I going to go before tribulation, during tribulation, or after tribulation? What nation is this? What nation does the, the leopard represent? Who's the Antichrist? Is it Donald Trump? Is it, is it Barack Obama? Is it Joe Biden? Who's the Antichrist? That's not the reason the book of Revelation was written. If you want to know why the book was written, written read the first verse. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Begin to read the book of, there's, there's a, this, listen, there is a blessing. When you read the book of Revelation, there's a blessing that comes. So go home and begin to read the book of Revelations and look for what it's telling you about Jesus. And I'm going to guarantee you, you will be blessed. Let me give you the, let me give you the Reader's Digest version. Jesus has an enemy and he deceived man, mankind. Jesus' enemy deceived God's creation. And Jesus is coming back. Man lost dominion. And the prince of the power of the air has been given authority in this earth for a season. But Jesus is coming back. And he's going to boot that devil out of this world. And he's going to reestablish his kingdom on planet earth. That is the book of Revelation in the Reader's Digest version. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. Amen? If we prophesy, let it bring glory to Jesus. If we preach the word of God, let it bring glory to Jesus. As we, if we sing a worship song, let it bring glory to Jesus. I don't care if you walk out of this building and forget my name. Will you remember the name of Jesus Christ? He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. It doesn't matter who's singing the solo. Are they pointing us to Jesus? It doesn't matter if you prophesy or give a word of knowledge. Does it give glory to Jesus? Does it come from God and go through God and return to him and give him glory? Amen? Let's stand together. Let's stand together. Not unto us, O oh God, not unto us be the glory, but to you be the glory, to you be the power, to you be the honor forever and ever and ever. Amen. It's for his glory and not ours. It doesn't bother me to take a page of my notes and throw it away. 
even though I spent hours studying that, preparing to come and deliver it. If it's what God wants to do and he's going to get glory from it, throw the whole notebook in the trash can. Amen? It doesn't matter if I don't get to preach, if it brings glory to Jesus. It doesn't matter if they reject the message. It doesn't matter if they don't want to hear my prophecy. Did I bring glory to Jesus? That's all that matters. Let's worship the Lord. Listen, this altar is open. If you need to be saved today, if you need to give your life to Jesus Christ, come down to this altar. If you need ministry of any kind, come down to this altar. We're going to pray with you. We're going to minister to you. Come and receive what you need from the Lord today as we worship the Lord. I want to encourage you with everything that's on the inside of your church, let's worship the Lord. Let's leave it all here today. Let's worship the Lord.